belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for August 27th, 2023 is called Known Living History. The speaker is John Ray and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Well, welcome again. My name is John Ray. I am uh, really glad you're here this morning. Whether you're listening on the, the podcast or you're watching on Facebook Live as we're going, um, you are welcome here this morning. We recently did some reshuffling at our house, and I was going through things in my office. And I have this really big shelf that, in addition to way too many books, holds other stuff. Um, rocks from hikes uh, that it has. has a bunch of old electronics. I've brought in all the various cell phones that I've had over the years before. Some uh, John, good Johnny Cash 8-track cassettes are on there. Maybe a few U2 cassettes. Um, and uh, I also have this. Anybody familiar with this? So kids, uh, no, you guys, if you haven't seen one of these, you can pass this back. The, the children may not have seen one of these. And, if, and don't be embarrassed if you're an adult and you've never looked through one of those. So you look up at the light, you look through it up at the light, and then you click it through the different pictures with that. Um, and each one of these things, each one of these knickknacks or whatever on my shelf, it tells a story. It brings me back to a place in my life. Uh, something that I did, something I experienced, a relationship that I had. And then we have these things. But the thing that I love about the Viewmaster in particular is the way that it formed my imagination as a kid. Because when I was four, five, six, seven years old, however old I was when I had this, my mom would buy, because what you did is they sold you the Viewmaster relatively cheap, but then they sold you all the picture cassettes that went through it. That's where they made their money. And she had some from... Rome in the 50s, I mean, because I'm old. And, uh, and, but I remember one in particular, and I wish I could find it. Uh, it's not the one that's in there now, but it was of the Redwoods. And it was this car driving through a tree in the Redwoods. And it just blew me up as a kid. I was like, there's no way, there's no way that there is a tree big enough that you can drive a car through. And it it opened my imagination in a way that if you had just told me that, it wouldn't have had near the same impact. Like, in a way, I had to see it. And then as an adult, I actually got to go see that tree. I was actually able to go out to the Redwoods and see it. And it was even better than the, than the Viewmaster. Like, it was even better than the picture to be there in the Redwoods live with that. But this was that introduction to it. We're talking about our history today, but I want to talk about it in the sense of concrete objects that help us do the same thing. Concrete objects, concrete things with that. And I want to talk this morning about the, the what, the where, and the when of our history as Grace Church. The what, the where, and the when. You see, because William Faulkner said this, he said the past is never, is not, is never dead, it's not even past. The past is with us right now as we live. The history, the things that happened, they didn't just cease to happen 
we are continuing to live out the legacy with them. And understanding the things, the events, the people, the ideas that have formed us help us live more faithfully and imaginatively and courageously into the present with that. When we understand these things. And sometimes we just need objects or experiences as touchstones. We need those physical representations with us. So I'm going to start with the what. And I touched on it briefly last, last week, talking about this communion table. So there's a very specific reason why we have this communion table in this place, and we take communion every week. It is the, it is the result of years of theological practice, study, reading, prayer, doing things. I grew up in a tradition where communion was often an afterthought. It was done in a very perfunctory way, and it was done in a very corporate manner. And, and by corporate, I don't mean together. I mean like industrial. That's probably a better word, an industrial matter. It was, we were given the very smallest amount that you could practically have of the elements, and we, and we did these things individually with this, um, in that. And as we started studying scripture and we started understanding that one of the motifs, the main motifs of Jesus' teaching was this idea of table fellowship. That in that culture, who was included at your table was an indication of, of what you thought about them. In Second Temple Judaism in that time, people, specific people, for specific reasons, were excluded from table fellowship. They were told, you can't eat at this table if you are this or if you are that. And that if someone was welcome to a table, it was a sign that they themselves were then worthy. That they themselves were welcomed fully, accepted fully. And so through the process of studying the scripture over the years and going through Paul's letters chronologically, in the, synoptic, in the gospel synoptically, and we, time and time again, we would come up to see this Jesus who was always breaking the taboos of table fellowship. He was always welcoming people to the table who were not otherwise welcome. That they were not allowed. That, that it was scandalous the people that Jesus would include at the table. And that all of that, all of the ways he included women and people who were outcast and people who were not of the, of the Hebrew faith or, or bloodline, uh, people who would never have, should have been included at the table, according to the Jewish tradition that he lived in, that he was raised in, he included. That culminated on the night of that last Passover. When he took the bread and he took the wine and he said, and he told his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of what? In remembrance of the way that he had always been including people. Like that's one of the biggest messages we meet. We, we try to transform it into some kind of spell. Into some kind of, of thing that's done that, that makes people a certain way that weren't. And, and I understand that, but we miss we're missing the forest for the trees when we do that. And the forest is, y'all are welcome. And all are welcome. No one has to be pre-qualified to get there. 
You don't have to believe a certain creed. You don't have to love a certain person. You don't have to be part of a certain political party or socioeconomic class. You don't have to speak a certain language or have a certain passport stamp. You don't have to be cognitively normal. You don't have to be physically bodied able. There's no distinction, y'all. Everyone's welcome. Well, as we started to see this and we started to understand this, we started to understand, well, what are we doing then? As a church, why, if this is so central to who Jesus was, to how Jesus acted, why are we then kind of making this, shunning this to the side? Shouldn't this be central to our worship? Shouldn't this be central to our gathering? And so we had the table made and we started practicing it every week. And we're still practicing, learning how to practice it best together. But the thing is, when I stand up here, I want you to look at this. This is the other thing about our worship is my words, this preaching, act of preaching is not the center of worship. Our corporate singing is not the center of worship. Our praying the Lord's Prayer together is not the center act of worship. Taking communion together is. You don't have to sing a word and you don't have to believe a damn thing that I say. And you're welcome at that table. That's what holds us together. Not some kind of theological ascent, not some kind of cultural uh, appreciation or affection for a certain style of music or a certain style of being together. That is what holds us together. That is our living history at that table. That's the what of our history. Well, then we get to the where. So if that's the what, well, we understand each other by where we meet. Now, most of you are familiar here. We've bought this building over at Sycamore and Leverett. We're calling it the Perch. The way we're doing it, it's kind of a culmination of years of wanting to be in proximity to the most diverse place in Fayetteville. Demographically, geographically, economically, ethnically, that building is right in the middle because we believe that there is no substitution for being present to people. We can't ask people to come to us. We go to them. And again, we see this is what God did. God comes to us in the person of Jesus. God comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. It is God seeking us, not us seeking God. And so we go where we feel we can be the most valuable to our community and hopefully practice a form of communion, of community, that is representative of the kingdom of God, which means it doesn't look like we look right now. Just quite honestly, it does not look like we look right now. We want it to look different. Not We want you all here. We don't want you to leave. But we want more added to us who don't look like us, smell like us, talk like us, speak the same language, have the same passport, be part of the same socioeconomic group. Like we want to see the diversity that we see exampled in the kingdom of heaven here. And we understand, look, we don't know how to do that. We can't force it. But we do know that if it's going to happen, we can't guarantee that it's going to happen. But if it's going to happen, we have to go where it can happen. We can't expect it just to come out to the suburbs. 
So we're heading towards the perch. But y'all, it is a long and circuitous way to get there. This church started meeting in a living room off Rolling Hills Drive. Don Carter's living room. Suburban, upper middle class living room. Then it moved to a building on Joyce, right? You were saying this because I forgot the Joyce building. So Root Elementary, then to Joyce, then back over to Mission, there, and then to the warehouse, which is out towards Goshen. We met in a warehouse. That's where I showed up is when it was at the warehouse, this old pottery warehouse out there, full of bugs. And then we bought the building. It was. That was the constant thing was bugs were getting in the kids' rooms. Um, and then we bought the building on, on Crossover, 20, which we called 2828. And that was supposed to be kind of where we thought people will come to. Like, we learned a big lesson there. We thought, hey, it's not that far off. Crossover's main road, the whole thing. Like, people can come. It's kind of central. It, and it had kids' rooms and everything that we, we really wanted at the time. And we thought we could use it as a community building. And we just, it was reinforced to us that there's no, there's no substitution for proximity. As, as well as that building worked, functionally, it just wasn't in the right place, geographically. And so we sold it. And then we've met all over this mountain up here in various places waiting. And, uh, and we're headed towards the perch, um, but we have one more stop, which we're going to talk about in a minute. So let's talk about the when. So that's the where. We talked about the what. We talk about the where. We talk about the when. When do we meet? Why is that important? Well, one of the things that, that originally I was told when I, Jane and I first showed up and, and joined Grace is that we are not going to overburden people with time requirements. That the Sunday morning liturgy is going to be, is going to be succinct, that we're not going to have a lot of extra things that draw people away because we believe that all people are ministers and they need to be out in their community doing things and we're not going to overschedule people. Because, again, a lot of us, myself included, came out of churches who seemed to be that their, their, their ideal was to program your life around activities in the church. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, then a... Then a you know, a Bible study at a different time in that, in that, in that, that any spare time that you might have was going to be programmed by the church. And I think in part of that was good motivation. Part of it was just, hey, let's keep people out of trouble. Um, but, but Grace Church from its beginning rejected that idea. It said, hey, we're not going to do that. We're not going to overpro, uh, overprogram people or over expect, have uh, over, too many expectations on people's time. And that worked for a while, but then we understood that by creating free time for people, it wasn't like that nothing would rush into that. It's like the, what is it, the theory with the closets? Is that you'll have as much stuff as closet space you have? If you, if you think, oh, I'm going to have a bigger closet so I'll have space, no, you will fill that closet space, right? And there's empty time. And so we started to understand in church, it's really not a matter of, 
just not requiring time commitment. It's how we think about time. How do we, how do we actually imagine time? What do, we, what do we expect from people to do with the whole of their time, not just this time that we have together on Sunday mornings or that we don't purposely schedule? And so as we've been thinking about that, as we've been seeing who are we as a church and what does this mean, we've started to understand that one of the primary, one of the primary oppressions of our society is this addiction to busyness. This addiction to have to constantly be occupied, busy. And this comes out in myriad ways, right? With the constant addiction to entertainment, the constant addiction to information, how we are constantly having to fill up time. And, and what, well, i got to be honest, one of the primary persons who's, people who's questioned me and called me out on this is my wife. And she does it from an artistic point of view. So Jane's an artist. One of the first things you learn about a really good artist is how they use white space that they look at a canvas and they leave space on the canvas purposely blank. And this doesn't distract from what is actually on the canvas. It actually enhances it. I'm the kind of person I would fill up every square inch. To me, the painting or the photo or whatever would not be done until I had used every bit of the canvas with that. And yet I've watched my wife, who's a much better artist than I am, fantastically better. She's like, no, 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 where's your white space? Where's your margin? And so we've been thinking, okay, well, how do we counter then this busyness? And how do we counter this, this constant desire to fill stuff up? So this is where history comes to the now and goes forward. So what we're, what we're faced with right now, part of this becomes, part of this is theological. Part of this is just functional, practical of where we are. And listen, life's like that. Anybody who tells you that they're living purely according to their principles, ideally 100%, they're not living in the real world. We all are living within the requirements and the things that, that of the place and the time and who we are with what we have. So when we bought the perch and Justin, you know, did a great job a few weeks back talking about this, our, our naive assumption was we were going to be in by Easter. Not the coming Easter, but last Easter with that, right? Um, right now, probably our most um, optimistic view would be sometime around November. That's not even assured, y'all. Like, the, the things that we've had, in spite of Betty's diligence, in spite of everything that's going on, we're in a world right now where you can't just force a contractor to work for you at the price that they want. you want. Like, we have to deal with reality of the situation. We have, uh, we've gone back, we've gone back to Sequoia, and they've been very generous with us, but a number of times, but they have made it very clear that, that we are not their ideal occupant here. 
they, they as an organization, are looking at using this space and different spaces for things other than a church meeting here. And so I think we've asked four times for extensions. At least four times. And every time, they have told us, we really would prefer that y'all found a different place to meet, but we'll go talk about it. And they've been very gracious to us to allow us to continue to meet here. But it's always with the proviso. But if you could find a different place to meet, we would be really happy with that. So um, as it turns out, we have found a different place to meet. And it's a, it's a really interesting place to meet. It's got its pros and cons with that. Um, but it feels like it is the right thing to do. Now, we have not, I want to be careful here, we have not made this decision 100%. <clears throat> this is where we need community input. Not necessarily right here this morning, we can talk about it after, but, but we do want your input on this. Um, but we found another place to meet that it feels like we're, we're supposed to do it, but it's going to require some, some changes that ultimately I feel lead us in a good way towards when we inhabit the perch, when we take over the perch. Many of you are familiar what's happened with the United uh, Methodist denomination with the current split over the theological issues on LBGTQ inclusion with that. And one of the most significant churches in town here is Central United Methodist. They have generously offered us in one reason, tragically, because they have space now, because so many people have left the church and they're rebuilding, but they have graciously asked us, even invited us, to meet in their space. Y'all, it's, it's, it's a hell of a campus. <laughs> I mean, just fly out, right? It's very centrally located. It's got a lot of the amenities that Sequoia lacks with that, as far as meeting space for our kids, Comfort and convenience. One of the biggest things is we could store all of our equipment there. It doesn't mean that Justin and Jennifer and Roland and Stacy and those guys are having to haul this stuff back to their um, garages every week, haul it here, set it up. We could keep the stuff there. So it offers a lot of positives. The, the negatives, um, in one sense, it is a church. And I know a lot of the people who are coming to Grace um, don't necessarily feel that comfortable in a traditional church atmosphere, in a way. So we understand that, but we understand also that once we get to the perch, we won't have that problem at all with that. So again, it's a stepping stone. <clears throat> but the biggest thing is this. The biggest thing is the wind. Because we can't meet there Sunday mornings. Now, I want to back up a little bit here. We have talked for a long time about not meeting on Sunday morning, but meeting at another time for the purpose of going back to what we said about giving people time encountering business in our culture. I look at, I look at the families with kids, and I remember this so well. Five days a week, you have to get them up at a certain time, dressed at a certain time, eat at a certain time, sign the papers out the door to school. And then Saturday comes around. If you're involved in any kind of activity, Boy Scout, Girl Scout, 
soccer league, anything, FFA. Saturday is just another work day. It's, it's, it's another work day. You have to be out, dressed, gone. And then we come to Sunday, which is supposed to be, the, and we're going to talk a lot about the Sabbath. In a way, this is a little bit premature because we're going to spend a whole number of weeks on Sabbath uh, at the start of the next year. But when we get to Sabbath, there's an idea of rest, and you've got another thing you've got to get up for, another thing you've got to dress for, another thing you have to perform, another thing you have to be after. And I think in a really weird way, what COVID taught us a lot with not meeting on Sunday mornings is how utterly restorative one day a week can be when you don't have to get up and do all that. How one day... <laughs> trying to contain his excitement back there. Um, but, but how... Not just restorative, but how necessary that is. And if you've been in ministry for any amount of time, you've just given up on that. Because you've got to be here. Our worship team has to be here an hour and a half early before anybody else shows up to get ready to do the things. Tech has to be here with that. And so as much as you try to get rest on another day, as much as you would like to say, well, I'll just sleep in on a Monday morning or a Saturday morning, it doesn't happen. Because everybody else is working. Everybody else is doing stuff. The expectation, the cultural expectation is you, you got to go do the other stuff with that. And so what we've dreamed about for a long time was, one, how do we, how do we promote? We can't enforce it. I can't make y'all slow down. I can't make you take a Sabbath. But we might be able to model it and invite you to it. We might be able to learn as a people how to practice it and then do it together. Sabbath doesn't work individually. This, I, can tell you, I can tell you from 35 years of ministry, and as much as I, as I understand it, as much as I've tried to practice it on my own, I can't do Sabbath by myself, though. I just can't do it. If I say, yeah, Monday's going to be my Sabbath, but then everybody else is working and doing stuff, maybe hit or miss a little bit I can do it, but ultimately I just get sucked into work with that. <clears throat> and I think we all do with that. And so, we again, we've dreamed about this idea of do we take Sunday morning Basically, what we, said, what we would like to do is from, from Saturday at late afternoon, early evening, until we meet together on Sunday afternoon, we will not program anything, we will not put any meetings out there, we will not have anything there, and we will encourage and, and invite everybody to just, as much as possible, to rest. Now, that's not going to work for everybody. It's not going to work for my family, who all in the hospitality industry. Who Saturday night's their biggest night with that. I, all I ran a restaurant and bartended for years. Getting up on a Sunday morning after a 2 a.m. Saturday night in a bar, it ain't going to happen. And so that's the third thing, that along with pushing back the busyness, 
practicing Sabbath communally, it also opens the door for a number of people who cannot be here on Sunday morning. I would dare say, and I know this isn't universal, but I would dare say most of us here have the option to meet Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. It's a matter of choice. It may not be convenient. It may not be perfect. It may take some rejiggering. But but it's an option for us. There's a large segment of our population, of our society, that cannot meet on a Sunday morning. But they can on Sunday afternoon. And so when we combine these three things, when we look and go, okay, well, if we, can, if we can be a prophetic witness against the busyness of society, if we can encourage communally this idea of Sabbath, of rest, of genuine rest, a day where you don't have to perform, you don't have to get up, you don't have to get dressed, you don't have to get out the door, you're not hurrying as you do every other day of the week. And then we create a space where people who are excluded from being here on Sunday morning are welcome and encouraged to be part of that. Are we willing to try this? I don't know if it will work. I really don't. But are we willing to give it a shot? And this, again, this decision has been, while we've talked about it theoretically for a very long time, and Darrell back there <laughs> for years has been asking us to do this. <clears throat> um, now we're, in a way, given another means of motivation, which is, hey, we can meet in a space that works better than here for the time being while we wait on the perch, and but but that's the only time we can meet. Like we don't have the option to meet on Sunday morning, so we have that. And if we do that, y'all, in a way, we're living out our history. We did we didn't just come to that decision overnight. We didn't just happen one day and go, oh, we got a good idea. Let's just screw with everybody's schedule and meet on Sunday afternoon instead of Sunday morning, right? Like no, this is this is the process of our history that starts with the what. Do we want to make this the center of our worship? Is this the center part of our worship? Everybody's welcome. We make a place for everybody. We slow down. We focus on this. It's not perfunctory. We're not rushing through it. It's not an obligation. Y'all, it's a party. The table of the, the fellowship table of Jesus is a feast. It's meant to be. And I have in my imagination that we've talked about right now probably start somewhere around 4.30 in the afternoon. Which means by 5.30, 6 o'clock at the latest, we're done. So if you've got kids and you've got homework to get ready and you've got to get ready for the next week, you kind of start your week that Sunday night. They're ready to go for, for Monday morning. And if you don't have those obligations, or even if you do, but you're learning a new routine, you go out to eat after. Or you go over to somebody's house and eat. Or you just spend time. Or you go catch a movie. Or you go for a bike ride, depending on the season. But it just, it's a natural way to start into the week with this idea of what you've already been given. Because the world tells you that rest is a reward. The world tells you you only get to rest if you've worked hard. The world tells you that rest is the end goal. The gospel says it starts with rest. Jesus says, 
Come, all ye who are weary, heavy laden, come. It starts with that. We get to eat our dessert first as Christians. It's a really crazy concept. Like we start with rest. Rest is not a reward. Rest is the gift. It's a gift. You don't have to do anything to get it. Jesus says, here, start. Start with rest. It's like getting your paycheck before you've ever worked a day. That's how it works with the gospel. And we would be practicing that. We would be living witness, bearing witness to that in our lives and in our ways of doing that. So, again, I, I really do, we, we want to know your feedback on this. It, it is something that is probably going to happen pretty quickly. Um, just so that we can let Sequoia know and we can let uh, Central United Methodists go, know with this. Um, we're leaning strongly towards this, but again, it hasn't been made absolutely with that. But as soon as it is made, we're going to need to move fast to communicate to people and how we do that and arrange schedules. And I know, especially families, that's a lot to ask to rearrange a schedule around that way. It's going to take some practice. It's going to take some grace if we do it with that. Um, but it is that is the when and the where. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Um, knowing why we practice being a church the way we do helps us in our effort to to be the place of to place belonging at the center of our ethos. We talk about it right all the time: belong, become, believe. Practicing these things helps us understand why belong is is predominant. This helps form, helps us become more and more like the one who we follow, and all this informs and is informed by what we confess to believe. Making this the priority, that we are a church not built on convenience, but on the reconciling and revolutionary message of the gospel. We are a church constantly recovering from our cultural addiction to programs, marketing, consumerism, segregation, supremacy, and violence. And recognizing these habits and assumption and devoting ourselves to practices that lead us out of them is essential. That's why we're doing this. This is a living history. A very real and very present way of understanding where we came from, where we are, and where we're going. So thanks for being here. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. If you would like to give, you can go to gracechurchnwa.org forward slash give. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.